Hey dads, Mark here. We understand that with the shorter format of our program, sometimes the conversations with our guests might leave you wanting to hear more. And so now I present to you the full conversation with actor Terry O'Quinn for your listening pleasure. Enjoy. Terry O'Quinn is joining us momentarily. Uh, now, Terry is someone that I've had the pleasure of crossing paths with a small handful of times in the last decade or so. Uh, and for me, it was just a no-brainer to, to share the podcast with him and invite him to come on and talk about his own dadhood experience. Terry, how's it going? Hi, Adam. That's Adam, I trust. That's right. It's Adam. Yeah, it's, it's uh, been a while. Uh, indeed, yeah. I feel like I want to say, hello, old friend. Well, you can say that. I'll consider it said. We've got a little bit of a, a history. I don't know. Do you remember uh, anything about our first interactions? I remember the song. <laughs> All right. To give the dads listening a quick bit of context, in 2006 or so, I had a band called The Sea Captains. Uh, my good friend Tim Collins was writing the music, and one of our early songs was inspired by Lost, which was immensely popular at the time. There were lots of references to John Locke in the song, and we thought that Terry might get a kick out of it, so we mailed it to him in Hawaii, where they filmed, and Terry let us know how much he loved it. And then years later, probably in 2012 or 13, I was in San Diego for Comic-Con. I was doing some filming, and I saw that Terry was also going to be there, so I reached out, and we connected in person and shook hands and had a great conversation. So, Terry, it's pretty thrilling that so many years later, you still remember the sea captains. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I was just talking with Kate about that. That was a real, a real surprise and a real treat. So thanks for that. That's a, a really fun memory. Yeah, and for me too. You're welcome. Mark Checkett is my co-host here on Modern Dadhood. Hello, Terry. Hi, Mark. Great to meet you. Thanks for doing this. I'm happy to. Terry, I remember when we met in person that you were telling me a story about several of your brothers. And when Mark was doing research to prep for this conversation, he read that you're actually one of 11. That's right. My mother had 11 children. Um, my, the first two were by another man, not my father, my father. And then she, then she had nine more by my dad. And I was the seventh of the 11. So the, or the fifth of my father's my biological father's children. Wow, wow. What do you remember about your relationship with your father growing up in a family that was so large? My father was pretty much an authority figure. A figure, you know, he was the one who, primarily we probably remembered him as the one who doled out the punishment because uh, if you crossed him, <laughs> you could be in trouble. He had to keep order in the house. He was also the principal of my elementary school until I went into high school, at which point he got the principal of the high school job. Wow. He hovered over me. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's an ever-present authority figure. Through my entire young life, yeah. Did you get any preferential treatment or more in the being reprimanded more for things because you were the son of the principal? Yeah, I think uh, a bit. I think uh, because in those days, that was in, this was in the 60s. I started in the elementary school in the 50s. So... In those days, um, the principal or teachers could smack somebody if they were so inclined, if they thought they had it coming. But um, he, he he had a temper, which he generally controlled. We lived in, in the far north, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And uh, the nights there, it would be dark. If you came home at 5 o'clock, it would be dark out. And I started playing basketball in junior high and played until... At the end of my high school career, 
I remember one night I was going to basketball practice was over and my parents had said, you know, call them if uh, to get a ride home. And I thought I would be nice. It was a noble thing to not disturb my parents and to walk home. And I, it was about a mile down a country road. So I walked home and um, I came in the driveway and halfway up the the path, which was a shoveled path. The snow was about four feet deep in those days. Oh, wow. I remember my father met me came out the door, met me halfway down the path and knocked me, <laughs> slapped me silly for not calling and knocked me into the snowbank. Wow. For walking home. Not exactly the reception you thought you were going to get. Uh, that's right. No good deed goes unpunished. Exactly. Uh, hopefully we haven't pa- painted your father in too negative of a light. I'm sure that there were many, uh, many very positive qualities about him too. Oh, my father was a good man. I have no, uh, I had no doubt about that. In the early 80s, you had two sons. Yeah, one in 81 and one in 83. All right, so their, their ages are very much in line with, with Mark and myself. You had already been acting for, for quite a while when you had your boys. Have they always known you as an actor? Yeah, they have. I've always, that's, that's all, all I've done in the course of their lives. I, was, I started acting out of university in 75, 76. That's pretty much all I've done. Outside of the, when I first got to New York, the, uh, you know, the gig running deliveries around Manhattan to try to make a little change. And, uh, but, but that was, that was about it. It was all just acting. So was there a lot of travel involved for you? And did that keep you away from home a lot of the time or? Did- well, it was a bit of both. I, uh, I traveled, uh, quite a bit when my, because they were born in Maryland, I bet my, I met my wife, now ex-wife in Maryland. We just, Set up home there. That became home. Both the boys were born there. So uh, anytime I worked, it wasn't there. I was always I was always gone if I worked. And you know, if I spent half the year working, and this is still true, if I spend if I can spend five or six months working, that's a good year. Which means I get to be home more than the average dad. But I'm also, oddly enough, I would be away more than the average dad. Mm. You know, extended periods. And occasionally they went. They, you know, we went to uh, we went to L.A. Of we probably spent a. I'm trying to think. Maybe a year in L.A. At one point, um, we went to New York at one point when the kids were small, and we lived in Queens and we lived in Bronxville for you know, but probably for the 18 or 20 years until they had grown up, we probably lived for at least 15 of those years in Maryland around the city of Baltimore, usually on the outside. So yeah, I was gone. I was gone uh, quite a bit. And when I was there, I was there for extended periods as well. Not a common sort of existence at all, I don't think. (laughs) So I would imagine that um, for many years when they were growing up, people would see you out or see, see your family out and, and do a double take because they recognized you from something, you know, from a film or, um, or television. Was that, how did they react to you being recognized by people? I don't think they knew any other way for people to deal with me. And it, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a terribly common thing where we lived. It was almost in the country primarily. And, when you live in a certain area, you go to the same grocery store. When you go to the same coffee shop, the same restaurants, people become accustomed to you pretty quickly. And there, it's not like there are a lot of people 
rolling through from other cities and stuff. So um, they were used to it when it did happen. I live now in in Virginia Beach, and the the people I see here are pretty used to me. And uh, once or twice a day, maybe if I'm out and about, people will say something or make a big deal, but not too much. I don't tend to draw that kind of attention. I certainly don't try to. Did you see a pretty big shift in the early 2000s when yeah. they were college? Just starting college, maybe? With the success of Lost Season 1? Yeah. I mean, there was a bit more of that. Um, yeah, it probably, it probably doubled. But I mean, the, the funny thing is we were making Lost in Hawaii and and I lived in the, on the north shore of Oahu. So that was kind of out of the city as, as well. The north shore is kind of the country area of Oahu. But yeah, I mean, people came there... After it was uh, it was established as a big show for a couple of years, people would come there specifically because Lost was made there. I always loved to walk my, you know, for all my life. I mean, I, as I said, I, I was a I was a walker from the time I walked in my elementary school home. But uh, in Hawaii, I would take long walks from my house up on the hills up on the above the North Shore down to Haleiwa, which is a little town on the North Shore where my post office was and that would probably be about four or five miles down there <laughs> and i i remember on one occasion um because i was late i realized i had to get to work and i was like getting home so i hitchhiked which is very common in hawaii <laughs> by the way you just you know you just stick your thumb out and people stop and i actually bought a pickup truck in hawaii just so i'd be able to stop and pick up surfers and <laughs> holding their boards with their thumbs out but I would catch a ride sometimes, and um, people would sometimes not be able to put that two and the other two together. Like, what? Isn't it? This looks like that guy, but why is he hitchhiking on the <laughs> North Shore? But um, I tried to stay with the normalcy, the normal part of my life, as much as I could, and not let any of that other stuff catch me up. And it didn't. It hasn't really, because I've never lived in uh, in L.A. or New York. And so my sons, I think. I think they just saw it as kind of weird, but uh, just a part of life. And I remember once I made a, I, there was a movie, uh, uh, what was it, the comedy with uh, Luke uh, Wilson? Old School. Oh, Old School, yeah. Oh, yeah, Old School. Yeah, see, that was not a big deal to me, so because <laughs> so, I can't remember the name of it. But I was in, I made Old School, and I really only had a couple few scenes. I had a couple scenes with uh, Luke Wilson. And so your agents always are trying to negotiate. That's, you know, part of how they make themselves seem worth what you pay them is to try to get your name farther forward in the credits <laughs> or get some sort of special recognition. And I said, how about just none? How about if I just don't have my name in it? And I just, and then my agent said, well, that's different. And I said, yeah, well, let's, I think I'll just do that. I just don't want my name. Just, it'll just I'll just be that guy. So I didn't tell my sons. I never even mentioned to them that I was in that movie. It wasn't like it was a big secret. I just, it just didn't come up. And uh, they went to see the movie together. They told me this afterwards and they were <laughs> looking. And I think the first shot was me, I think in a reflection in a window or something. And I started talking and they said, did they looked at each other and said, is, it, is that dad? Did, <laughs> That's did you know dad was in this movie? Did he tell you he was in it? it was like, With a wonderful mustache in that movie as well. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, that's very particular. I, was at, I had that sort of Clark Gable mustache for a few years there. It was, <laughs> it was kind of weird when I look at the pictures now. 
But I think I was that was the same way as in Millennium. Uh, I think I had that weird little mustache. But uh, but wonderful is a better word for it. So yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> I uh, I wonder if there was any time that you recall as your your kids are growing up that you kind of had to sit down and explain a little bit about what it is that you do and that your job is maybe a, a little bit different in some capacity than, than a lot of other people. Do you recall something like that ever taking place? I think there might've been elements that are, you know, a bit of that maybe here and there, but it was more something that they kind of absorbed simply because of what was normal to their lives. The fact that I was home and might be home for a month or might be home for six months or a, a whole freaking year, which was, yeah. they would know, they would know then because things would get strained. They would, you know, they would sense tension because uh, there would be financial pressures and things like that. And they would understand that. So, you know, I think the, those kinds of things might've gotten dropped, you know, once or twice, but I never had to really sit down and said, listen, here's what my life is like. And, I think they've basically figured it out. If I, if I were to talk to them now, and I kind of look forward to that. What was that? You know, that's, that would be a good, that would be a good interview subject is like, what was it like with your dad being in the business? Yeah. And, you know, you being at home. But when I talk to people now, young actors, one of the first things I say is don't, I suggest you don't have children. Don't get married and don't have children, at least for now, because I, it puts such a financial strain on on the actor and, and then on the family that that kind of stress gets into the family. And, and uh, you know, it puts pressure on the actor to maybe think about giving up that dream and getting some sort of reliable source of income. And so I say, I always suggest don't put any kind of financial strain on you above what you need to take care of yourself, at least for a while. That's interesting. The idea of choosing to either put your career first and family, you know, on hold or to prioritize the family and then make decisions about your career that may not be favorable ones or, or ones that would get you to where you want to be. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and you know, I didn't even I didn't want to be anywhere in particular. I just wanted to be able to make a living doing what I was doing, and I, you know, I hoped for some modicum of success. But I, I didn't have uh, stars in my eyes. I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for Academy Awards. I just wanted to be able to make a living, which is what most actors want, and uh, that's hard enough without deciding you need to feed a family. You know, I'm not, I'm all about falling in love with someone. And I think that's, if you're lucky enough to find someone, then that's great. Good for you. you but as an actor, you're probably obliged to say, look, this is, this might be tough. Don't quit your job, sweetheart. Because, um, you know, we, I may or may not be employed and, uh, I may or not, may not make money at it. So let's just see. We were talking about Lost just the other day as we were prepping for this. And because we're the same age as your sons, we were thinking about when we were in, you know, in college or just graduating college and really how that was. Mark, you were saying, and I think it makes a lot of sense that Lost was probably the first show that sort of inspired this um, binge watching 
idea. Yeah, almost. And and at a time, you know, we Adam and I were trying to put ourselves back in that that mindset of being in that that time period before it was before Netflix and it was before all of that kind of stuff. And you would still actually have watching parties. I don't know what if our listeners out there. I'm sure some of them were were part of that. You know, back in the day, X Files is actually another good example of a show that probably had really religious watch parties where people would get together. You guys, uh, you guys aren't. 75 years old. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are talking like that was a dark age. It fe- it's funny. It, fe- it just feels so far, far back in the past, but you're right. It's not. I mean, it's really not. You know, I wonder were your kids, were they going to lost parties at the time? And if they were, I kind of, Adam and I started joking. We wondered if maybe they were part of these lost parties where a lot of the other people were almost kind of keeping one eye on the TV, but one eye on them to see if they would reveal any kind of information and, uh, you know, what was, what was that time like, uh, for them? Do you recall? I think that, um, both of my sons were pretty chill about it. I think it depends on the family. I'm not unlike my father in that I'm, I'm kind of restrained in, in terms of, um, how, how much I engage or how excited I might get about something like that. But I mean, and typically for me, if there was something that I was that much that into that I wanted to watch it, I did, I never saw a party as the best way to do it. I always thought, you know, I'd rather sit in a room by myself and not miss a word or a second. And I think my sons are not, uh, are, are kind of like me and, and my father in that respect. They, I don't think they got heavily into it. I don't, I, I don't even know. I'd have to ask them now and say like, how much did people talk to you guys about that stuff? Because uh, I'm not really sure, but I don't think they were, I know that they, uh, they might go and spend some time or go hang out to a party or go to a dinner or with, with people and, uh, and leave those people after a night or a day or even a week without those people knowing who I was yeah. And, yeah, well, and my sons wouldn't inform them. Yeah, they probably didn't want that that special kind of attention. What are they up to now? Where are your boys living? What are they doing? They're both in Maryland. You know, one manages a restaurant and one is a banker. Both of them had brief, I don't know, dalliances in the business. I mean, one, one of my, my younger son, Hunter, came, I think he shot as a, sort of an extra one time and lost. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. And my other son, Oliver, was, uh, he when he was in school in California, he uh, he did some theater and um you know i i mentioned him to my agent and i took a picture and sent it but i don't think he was terribly excited about doing it and you know people say to me kind of like hey man can you get me i said look i couldn't get my own children in if i wanted to so (laughs) and even if i got them in the door if they don't have the goods they're not that's it you know they're so if you want to be in a in the biz go get good at it you gotta have the chops yeah well certainly something worth exploring for them if you know it's in their genes to at least give it a try and see if they do have the chops yeah i suppose so if they want to right Mm -hmm. exactly the wanting is the big the biggest part of it mark actually has an interesting connection do you introduce your your boys names and yeah uh, yeah you have an oliver isn't that right hunter and oliver yeah i have an oliver yeah oliver is the older Okay. Yeah. One of, yeah. One of my son's name is Oliver. It, it's interesting too, cause I, I'm sure a lot of dads do this. They kind of, uh, or maybe not, I don't know. Uh, but we looked to our own family to kind of find some inspiration for names when we were naming the, naming the boys. And Oliver was one we just plucked out of thin air. There wasn't a single person in the family 
and of course, I thought, I think my wife and I both thought that we were being a little unique. Um, and uh, almost every day now, I cross paths with somebody whose name is Oliver, and I think, oh. It's not an, it's not an uncommon name. What's your last name, Mark? Uh, oh, my last name's Check It. Check It? Yeah, Check It. It's, it's spelled C-H-E-C-K-E-T. It's actually a Polish name. That's cool, but see, that's good scansion. Oliver Check It's a great name. Yeah, and his middle oh. name is Quinn, right? Oliver. <laughs> his, his middle name happens to be Terry O'Quinn. <laughs> Oliver goes with several. It has, but that has just good rhythm. Oliver, check it. Thanks. Oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah, we love it. But we also picked ours out of the clear blue. There was no. Oh, you did. In my family, and there's no Hunter in my family. Hunter's my second son. Oliver has just had my first grandson, Oliver's son. Ah. And uh, his that's name wonderful. Is his name is Jackson Danger, and there's no Jackson Danger. That is fantastic. <laughs> now that kid's that kid's got a leg up already. That's a fantastic name. Anybody who can truly have yeah the catchphrase "Danger is my middle name" has has a lot of good things in their future. <laughs> you better start working out. That's all I say. Kind of a boy named Sue comes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to live up to the middle name Danger. Jackson's badass in its own right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jackson, Jackson's pretty cool. Uh, how far is Virginia Beach from from where they are in Maryland? Do you get to spend time with them? It's about, yeah, they were just here actually. Oliver and Jackson and Sarah, they were just here. So it's about four or five hours drive. Everybody always talks about those benefits of uh, being a grandparent, where you get to have all the fun and then and then release them on their way. Yeah, well, I suppose that's true if you're if you're close enough to be. It's kind of like there must be just a perfect range depending upon the family. Like you know just far enough away that they're not at your door every day, grandparents, I mean, or, and, but close enough that you can dump the kids there in the, uh, in, in the event you need to for a day or two, but no, ours are too far away for any of that. So when we, when, uh, when I get to see them, it's, uh, or him, it's a, I have, it's a, it's a play, it's a treat and a pleasure, but I do realize that in two days, man, I'm way past it. I don't know about these Hollywood guys who, or in their 60s and have newborns. Alec mm. Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be tough. I only just heard, actually, just a few days ago that he has, like, you know, three new kids. And I'm like, wow. I remember doing a soap opera, The, the Doctors, with Alec Baldwin back in one of my previous lives. And it was like, he's as old as me. It must be Jackley's clothes. You, you need a lot of energy for a newborn. Oh, my God. Yeah, right back in the thick of it. Even the well-behaved ones are tough. Well, since we are talking about dadhood, it feels like we'd be remiss to not give a shout-out to the stepfather, stepfather one and two. Do you ever revisit that body of work? No, well, no. <laughs> in short. <laughs> I think I, I see pictures and stuff. It's a, it's not easy. I mean, it's, we watched it. No. Oh, yeah, we watched it. Kate hadn't seen it, so we watched <laughs> Hello, it. Hello, Kate. Oh, funny. I think I only half watched it and I never, you know, with one and two, it's like the first and second child. There's a, there's some psychologist or someone who tells a story about second children that the, that in the French revolution, the, the first children were the ones getting their heads lopped off and the second children were the ones doing the lopping. <laughs> <laughs> so the stepfather, the second stepfather was the, the, not my favorite child, but the first one was, uh, that was pretty cool. Did you have any uh, any particular reaction to the the remake uh, several years back? No, not really. I I, I thought why, as I do about a lot of remakes, <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess the answer is people can't come up with good ideas, which is astonishing when you think about how many people there are trying to come up with ideas. 
But then I just went, I was on the nominating committee for the SAG Awards, which uh, on which there are probably 2,500 people who do the nominating, but they're sending me movie after movie. And so there were dozens of movies that I was supposed to watch. And I watched as many as I could, but I, quite honestly, I would go, I'd give it about 10 minutes or, you know, it would take one thing that, that distracted me. And I thought that's bad. And um, let's go to the next one. And it would probably be like, I don't know, one out of five movies that, that I would want to watch and watched all the way through. So I think a lot of money goes in, into bad projects in Hollywood. <laughs> I think a lot of people asked why when that second, when that remake of Stepfather came out. I, I quickly looked at that on uh, Rotten Tomatoes last night, and it has an 11% rating. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, no, I didn't pay any attention to it. I think there might have been an inquiry about as to whether I would like to make a cam, do a cameo. I'm not sure of this. I think my agent might might have said, said that, but... Uh, uh, no, I had no interest. I got called once about uh, the remake of Hitchcock's Psycho. And I, was, I thought, why Why in the hell would you do a remake of Psycho? Was there something wrong with the first one? Yeah, that's a that's a perfect movie. That, to me, that's one of my all-time favorite films, that original Psycho. Why would you mess with something that's just so perfect? Yeah, come on, come up with an original idea, for God's sake. At least something moderately original. But I did see some movies that I thought were great, a few of them this year that were that I would recommend to anyone. Well, Mark, you watched the Stepfather one last night. <laughs> I did, I did. I, re- I watched Stepfather last night. Actually, for the very first time, and I'm a huge horror movie fan, um, so that was, a real, that was a real treat uh, to watch that. It was a great film. I loved it. It must have been pretty weird, though. Isn't it pretty dated? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't let that bother me. I, I can kind of put my, my head in the space that it sort of needs to be in for, for movies that seem outdated. You know, you always see old cars and maybe some of the filmmaking isn't quite as, you know, as, as smooth or polished in, in older films like that. But to me, I, I love watching, particularly from the eighties and nineties when there were still had to rely on, uh, practical effects, uh, you know, things moved a little bit slower. Story was always a little bit more integral, uh, you know, and, and so I, I love films like that. Yeah, which is better. I mean, all those things where you had to rely on story, you couldn't do things with effects that were literally impossible. If I had to critique myself, I would say I was always conscious. I looked like I was always conscious that I was a killer during the movie. And if I had it to do over again, I would try to be less conscious of that and a little less weird when I, when I was like, when I was not supposed to be weird. That's a very subtle uh, look to try to remove from your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, but, and, but you know, I mean, when you're walking, working in camera, I mean, it's all about nuance. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's all about that. And I mean, that's a hard thing to get without a lot of experience, I think. Well, truthfully, you, you, um, you've been someone who I think everybody would agree it can convey so much with, uh, with no words in, in some scenarios. You know, if you Google Terry O'Quinn and you go to Google images, you know, you're served up these gifts of you from, you know, from lost where it's just, you know, reacting to, I don't remember if it was the first time that you, the, the first time that you saw, I don't know, the smoke monster Maybe, or something, yeah. but just this long drawn out shot reaction shot where it, that said so much with literally no words. So if anybody has that nuance, it's you. Well, that's cool. Glad you see it that way. 
Well, we want to be respectful of your time. I, I, I did want to ask, are there any stories about your boys or about you being a father that have always just resonated with you and, and you always remember and, and talk about? Well, well, this is, I mean, there's a story, but it's actually about me and that's unfortunate, but it's typical of my, of my, probably of my father and then of me. And it's also probably true of my son, at least the oldest son, Oliver. <laughs> Note to self, when you walk into the hospital room wherein your wife is holding your firstborn infant and she looks at you and says, oh, dear, don't you just love him? Don't respond with love him. I don't even know him. <laughs> that's fantastic. That is. That sounds like good advice. I mean, that's like a Mr. Spock. <laughs> it was very. It's very logical. It's very logical, and it's good pure comedy. Just maybe in a setting where that comedy isn't isn't welcomed. <laughs> yeah, it was not terribly welcome. It took me a while, and in fact, I never lived it down from, oh, man. from from her. I never. It never came to an end. I would hear that one. <laughs> things got rough. So that's the curse of the Quinn of the Quinn men. So dads, if you want to see what Terry has been up to most recently, check out Perpetual Grace Limited on Epics, check out Patriot on Amazon, and follow him on Twitter. It is at O'Quinn Terry. You can also find him on Instagram where there's always uh, entertaining photos being put up with great captions. <laughs> is there anywhere else that people can follow what you're up to, Terry? Nope. That's it. <laughs> I want to thank you for, uh, again, always being so kind and so generous. I'm super thrilled to have you on Modern Dadhood, and we hope to see something brand new from you very soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Terry.
looking so dumbfounded The timer's up, the siren sounded Let me hear that same old song It was wrong, it was wrong, it was wrong